You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. And please remain standing for the reading of the word. Good morning. Our scripture today comes from the letter from Paul to the Romans, uh, beginning in chapter 9, verse 30, and going through chapter 10, verse 13. If you want to follow along in the chairback Bibles, that's on page 653. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, but I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your do not, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved." For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the name of the Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do pray that uh, we will be open today for hearing your word taught by Jonathan. Pray that you'll be with him and give him great uh, confidence and power in his preaching of the word. Lord, I do pray that you will help us understand about living and believing by faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and not by our works. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As long as I can remember, one of my favorite places in the whole world has always been my grandparents' lake house in Hayward, Wisconsin. Man, I love it up there. 
they've got this cabin that's tucked away in the woods and it's right on this big body of water. And it's so awesome. It's quiet and peaceful and you got the lake right there. I mean, what's not to love? But actually, there was this one thing that I hated every time we went up. You see, when I went out on the dock, I had to wear this ugly orange life vest. I hated that thing. You see, I've never been a very good swimmer. And I was put in swimming lessons as a kid, but I had these ear infections and I had to get surgery. So that took me out of the swimming lessons. So I sort of knew how to swim, but not really. Now, the worst part about it is my older brothers didn't have to wear the orange life vest. And frankly, that's just plain annoying. So one time when we went up, I made this decision on my own, mind you, that I no longer had to wear that life vest. I was old enough where I would be okay in the dock. And I was thinking, you know, I've never fallen in the water before, and I at least knew how to tread water, so I'd probably be fine. But little did I know, very quickly, my confidence was going to be put to the test. You see, as I went out on the dock, my brothers were fighting over a fishing pole, and as they were, I backed up too close to the edge, and next thing I knew, kerplunk, right in the water. Man, I sank like a stone. I mean, everything I thought I knew was right out the window. I mean, just the shock of hitting the water alone sent my body into rigor mortis. And when I finally convinced my arms and legs to start kicking and flailing, I was surprised to find that nothing I did brought me any further above the surface. And as I was sitting there in the water, two thoughts crossed my mind. Number one, I really wish I had my life vest. And number two, I guess I'm going to die. Well, it was just then when the large hand of my uncle reached down and plucked me up out of the water like a rag doll and and set me back on the dock, and I was saved. But it goes to show you what false confidence can do. Thinking that you can save yourself when you really can't. And I'm sure most of you are probably much better swimmers than, than I am. But the truth is, when it comes to our spiritual salvation, false confidence is extremely dangerous. So this morning, as we go back to the book of Romans, we are addressing areas where we can have false confidence. And while Paul is specifically talking about the Jewish people here and the false confidence that they had that made them miss Jesus, we'll find that these three areas of false confidence can affect us too. And then we will answer the question, well, how can we be saved? So if you will, please open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 9. And we will be in verse 30 and going all the way through to chapter 10, verse 13. Our first point is this. I thought following the rules could save. Here's what Paul says in verse 30 and 31. 
What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith? But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Now, we see here that Paul is making a contrast. He's comparing the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, and then the Israelites, who pursued righteousness based on the law. And the contrast that he makes is kind of surprising. He says that the Gentiles who were not pursuing righteousness have actually received righteousness. But then the Israelites who tried to receive righteousness didn't receive it. In my head, that kind of sounds backwards. But what Paul is pointing out for us is that righteousness is not based on works. And that is opposite of the thinking of the Jewish people. Now, they thought that if we follow the right rules, then we'll be righteous. And on top of that, they just didn't follow the rules that God set down. They tried to follow their own rules that they made up to keep them from breaking those rules so that they could be righteous. Really, what they did was fail to follow God's rules, followed their own rules. And now, Paul's not trying to pick on the Jewish people. You see, Paul himself is a Jew, and he understands their way of thinking. You see, he was a a Pharisee, a religious leader, who was one of the people who made up those laws and did everything in his power to try to follow them. But then he had this collision course with Jesus that changed his whole way of thinking about righteousness, where he came to this conclusion that it's not by works, but by faith. And that's what Paul's pointing out to us. And that's what he says here in verse 32. He says, why? That is, why did they not become righteous? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Now, Paul's showing us that the Jewish way of thinking was all twisted up. They thought that the ends would justify the means. Meaning, if they were aiming towards the right thing, it didn't matter how they tried to get there, they'd eventually get there. You see, they had the right end in mind, but the wrong means. Now, what we see in Scripture is that the ends don't justify the means, that the way we get to righteousness is extremely important. And that's what the Jews missed. That's what they failed to understand. The ends don't justify the means. If we try to get to righteousness based on our actions, we're never going to get there. And the ironic thing here is by chasing righteousness by the wrong means, they actually missed out on the righteousness that God put before them. Read what Paul says here in verse 33. He says, They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, Right here, Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And he's doing so to help connect the dots for the church. He's saying that God put in Zion, or Jerusalem, a stumbling stone. And on this stumbling stone, people would actually stumble over it. And who he's talking about is the Jewish people. See, they missed the thing that was right in front of them. And by doing so, 
what they did is brought about another prophecy from Psalm 118, verse 22. This one says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, if you're not a first century carpenter, then we might need to clarify what this cornerstone is. So when you were building a house, they would take this cornerstone and they'd lay it down as the first stone in the building. And that stone would be used to bring all other stones into level. Everything was based off of this cornerstone. And what this text is saying, what Paul is saying by referencing this verse, is that when the Jews rejected Jesus, they rejected the cornerstone. The stone by which all other things would be brought into level. The stone by which all other things would be made righteous. They stumbled over the righteousness that they were thinking or seeking. And it may be easy to criticize the Jews for this. Well, didn't you guys have the scriptures? Didn't you guys read your Bible? Didn't you know this guy was coming? But in reality, when we do that, we're falling under the same sort of thinking that they were. Well, your actions are wrong, so clearly you don't deserve righteousness. And that's, that's the way we think. We like to, to gauge righteousness based on the things we do and don't. In reality, what we do is we pick out those rules that are really easy for us to follow. We say, those are the good rules. Those are what make people good. And then those rules that are really hard to follow that, that we don't like, those ones aren't important. We create a standard of righteousness that is based on who we are rather than who God is. But we cannot receive righteousness by our own works. What we learn here is that works can never save us. But that's not the only thing that can't save us. Point number two, I thought being sincere could save. In, verse, in chapter 10, verses one to three, Paul says this. Brothers, my, heart desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the Jews, is that they may, may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, as we move into chapter 10, we see that Paul genuinely has a heart for the Jewish people. He loves them. And what he's expressing is God's love for them. But what he's also saying is that though they were zealous for God, that zeal was based on ignorance. You see, the Jewish people were very enthusiastic about following the rules and about seeking after the God that had chosen them. But rather than trying to seek God on God's terms, they were trying to seek God on their own terms. They said, we are very passionate and zealous people. Surely God will honor that and love us. But zeal does not equal salvation. Faith equals salvation. And, and once again, it can be tempting to look down on the Jews and say, well, how could you miss out on God when you're seeking God? 
But again, we can fall under the same mistake. When we judge others for the way they seek God, when we consider our faith to be the strength of our religion, we miss out that it's not based on our faith, it's based on Jesus. Yes, you heard me correctly. It's not based on our faith. And I know as we've been going through the book of Romans, we've heard over and over, faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. But when we talk about faith, it's not our faith that saves us, but the object of our faith that saves us. Faith without Jesus, it means nothing. Only Jesus can save. I hear it so many times, people say, if I just had more faith, if I just had more passion and zeal for God, in reality, what you're doing is making it about your actions. The gospel's not about you, it is about Jesus. And that's what Paul goes on to say in verse four. He says, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. For Christ is the law and of the law of righteousness. So what he's saying here is that Christ puts an end to that old way of thinking. So no longer is it based on our zeal or our ability to follow after God's rulings. It's all about Jesus. Jesus has done away with those things. And while we do get tempted to think about our faith as being the stronghold, I think innately we know that In the end, our faith isn't just strong enough because if faith was the key to being accepted by God or the key to receiving salvation, then wouldn't all these terrorists and extremists be the first one to go to heaven? Clearly, they are passionate people. Clearly, they have a desire to serve God. But once again, without Jesus, it means nothing. Or maybe to put it another way, When I fell into that lake, man, my passion came alive. I really wanted to get out of that water. I mean, if you could have heard the screams coming out of my mouth, like, man, that kid's got some passion. (laughs) But my desire didn't give me salvation. My zeal and passion didn't give me salvation. Church, we know our zeal doesn't save. So once again, it's not by works. It's not by sincerity. Point number three, I thought obeying Moses' teaching could save. Here's what Paul says in verse five. He says, for Moses writes about a righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So here we see another Old Testament quote from Leviticus chapter 18, verse five. And I have to admit, at first glance, this was a little confusing for me. So as we've been walking through Romans over and over again, we see it's, it's not based on the law that we're saved. But it, it seems like Moses is contradicting that. And, and in reality, what Moses is saying is that if you follow the law, you will be righteous. Now, what he's not saying is that if you follow part of the law, you'll be righteous. He's not saying that if you follow most of the law, you'll be righteous. He's saying if you follow 
every commandment, every rule, all of the law, then you will be righteous. You know, nobody says that I almost saved myself from drowning. Either you drown or you don't. Either you obey all of the commandments or you don't. There's no such thing as a halfway to God's righteousness. There's no such thing as a part way to holiness. Either you are righteous or you are not. And that's how we have to understand the law. And for the Jews, when Jesus came, they, they looked at God's, God's commandments, they looked at the Torah, and they said, well, we're doing pretty good. Why do we need this prophet coming to tell us that we need to get right with God when we already feel like we're right with God? But what they failed to understand is that each and every one of us falls short of God's glory. You can try to be good on your own. You can try to be righteous on your own. But only Jesus saves. Now, I, I want to clarify something here. Well, the Mosaic law, well, following the Bible is not going to save you. That doesn't mean that we throw out the Scripture. See, what we need here is a proper understanding of justification and sanctification. You see, justification is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died and bestowed his righteousness upon us. He legally declared us innocent before God. That's justification. Now, sanctification, on the other hand, is the process by which we come more and more like Jesus. It's where we become transformed from the inside out to be made into his likeness and we are brought into alignment with what the Bible says. See, the Bible gives us the picture of what we're becoming. It gives us understanding of what we're following as we continue to walk in Christ because we are justified. We need that clarification. But if we get that thinking twisted around and thinking that our, our works over here as we try to be like Jesus are what give us salvation, then we fall in under the same thinking as the Jewish people. The law cannot save. So that brings us to our final question. Well, if my works can't save, if sincerity can't save, if the Mosaic law can't save, point number three is how can I be saved? Now we have been dancing all over this answer throughout this whole sermon and really throughout the whole book of Romans. But I want us to understand that how we're saved is not an elementary truth of the gospel message. It's not a basic foundational understanding. Rather, it's the entire substance of what we believe. You see, if we don't continue to answer for ourselves, and continue to remind ourselves how we are saved, we are likely to fall into the same pitfalls that the Jewish people did. So without further ado, we answer this question. How can we be saved? Here's what Paul says in In verse uh, 9 and 10, 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here Paul is playing off of Deuteronomy 30, verse 14 where Moses says that the people should put the, the word of God in their heart and in their mouth. And he's using this to remind us of something. That salvation, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, isn't just something you say. Yes, believe in the gospel, believe that Jesus Christ has salvation. But it's gotta go deeper than just our words. You see, belief in Jesus is something that's got to be written on our hearts. It's something that has to be a conviction dwelling deep inside of us, something that we hold on to and cling to. Jesus is my Lord. I believe it and I confess it. And as he's saying here is when we believe it in our heart and when we confess it with, with our mouth, when we call out to God, we will be given salvation. And as we've been looking through these things, as we've been pondering these truths, it is important not to know just how we are saved, but why we are saved, or, or what we are saved from. And Paul gives us a hint here in verses 11 and 13. He says, For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, and bestowing the riches of all who came, who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so Paul gives us a hint here in verse 11 of what we are actually saved from. Now, you may be thinking that I don't necessarily feel like a drowning child. I, I get the analogy, but I feel like in my life I'm doing pretty well, so... Why exactly do I need to call on the name of Jesus? And wrapped up in this word shame here is where we get our understanding. You see, for our culture, shame, it's kind of hard to connect to what they were thinking. But in their culture, shame was a very big deal. When someone was put to shame, they were actually taken out of their community. They were taken out of their society. They were exiled from their people. It's basically the equivalent of being told that you're being put to death because you're losing everything that's important to you. Now think about it like this. When I was in my early 20s, I made a lot of mistakes. And not just those mistakes that we think are bad in the church. I made mistakes that the world even believes are bad. And all these mistakes culminated in not me just having a drinking problem, but me drinking one night and getting behind a vehicle and being arrested. I was thrown in prison for drunk driving. I remember sitting in that jail cell and thinking, I'm not a bad person. This isn't who I am. This isn't a part of my character. I, I'm good. But then I remember that day of standing in the courtroom. 
of standing before the judge as he read all the things that I had done wrong. What could I say? What could I say? I'm guilty. No matter how I tried to back out of what I did, no matter how I tried to reason my way out, I was guilty. That day I felt the weight of the shame of my actions. And when that judge read that guilty verdict, I knew I wasn't a good person. And as we read the Bible, as we read through the scriptures, we have to realize that we're not just breaking man's laws. We are breaking the laws of the God of heaven and earth. What do you have to say before God? For each and every one of us, we will stand before the judge of all of creation. And we can either stand in the actions that we've done over this earth, we can either stand there and listen to all the things we've done wrong and wait for that guilty verdict, or we can stand in Jesus Christ, who though we were sinners, though we were deserving of guilt and death, He died on the cross for you. And what Paul says in that day, when you stand in Jesus, there is no shame. There is no guilt. You are forgiven. You are innocent. You're free. And the good news of the gospel is it's not based on your upbringing. It's not based on whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you have done right or wrong in your life. It is completely and wholly based on Jesus. For anyone who calls in the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Do you believe it? Our application is very simple. Put your faith in Jesus. And you may be here this morning and are not a believer in Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and, and don't know what it's like to have that confidence that you can stand before God. I don't want you to know that if you try to stand on God based on your own works, you will be put to shame. But Jesus died for you. He died for every single sin you've done, all the wrong you've done, all the evil things that even crossed your mind. Jesus died for all of it. And it's as plain and as simple as putting your faith in Jesus. I promise you if you do, you too will be saved. And for us Christians, 
well, I know we too have put our faith in Jesus, but we can stumble over the same way of thinking that the Jewish people did. We can get in our mind that we've all of a sudden become uh, good people and we can build ourselves up on pride and, and look down on those who don't know the gospel, who don't know the truth. Or we can look inward at ourselves and think, how could God love me? Maybe it's my actions or, or the failures that I've had or the mistakes that I've made, thinking that these things will surely separate me from God. Christian, you've got to believe the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And that brings us to our second application. Church, we've got to love the lost. The way our world is turning, it's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to look out and think, man, these people just got to get right. But we can't look at these sinners and, and question why they're sinning. We can't look at them and, and tell them that they just got to believe what, they just got to follow what the Bible says. We got to look at them and see them as if they were a child drowning in water. When a child is drowning, I don't look down on him and say, well, why did you put yourself there? Certainly, I would save a drowning child. But would I walk past an unbeliever and not share the gospel? Now, I'm not trying to beat you up or make you feel guilty for not evangelizing more. But I hope we can open up our eyes to the opportunity that we have in Jesus Christ. We know the hand of salvation. We know the God who plunged into the water for us, the Jesus who gave up his life for us as we were drowning and descended in our death for us. Church, let's tell people about the gospel. Let's tell them that only Jesus saves and offer them the hand of salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your great love. God, we thank you that you not only loved us, but you died on the cross for us. When we were drowning, you died into our death to give us life. Jesus, give us the strength to believe the gospel and give us the strength to preach the gospel. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.